you know, neurologically, our brains are wired to really scan and notice the negative things. And so it takes more effort for it to notice the positive. And that's why whenever something positive happens, you really need to take time to acknowledge it and soak in that moment of positivity because it doesn't stay long because your brain is jumping onto the next negative thing. And that's why the gratitude practice is so important and so powerful and how it will create a snowball effect of positivity is because then do you notice that you are now in each day going through the day looking for things you can add to your gratitude list? Oh, absolutely. Fierce Lab is a podcast series for women. It's powered by the Tara Wilson Agency, the agency that gets women. It's a space to focus on our whole selves, from mental health to career development to financial intelligence. To be fierce is to be confident, capable, and strong. Fierce Lab offers inspiration, tools, and community. It's where we can explore new ideas and encourage discovery. Here, trying something new is celebrated. No one has it all figured out, but together, we can step fiercely into what's next. On this episode of Fierce Lab, I speak with Andrea Paris. Andrea is an attorney who has implemented a daily meditation practice into her life. She walks us through what it takes as an amateur to create this meditation practice, how taking a few moments each day can set our intentions and give us the space to create peace and harmony in our lives. It's a fascinating discussion where at the end, we talk about a 10-day silent retreat that she's going to participate in. Take a listen, then send us a DM on Instagram and let us know what you think. Hi, Andrea. How are you? Hi, Tara. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for being how are here. You? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I have to say I'm really excited to be here and to speak with your tribe, and I'm looking forward to having a wonderful conversation. Great, great. Well, for our community, let me give a little bit of framework into why I ask Andrea to speak with us. So as an attorney and spending a lot of time doing litigation, she shared with me that just like many of us in our jobs, it can be very stressful, all-consuming, and had started to have an impact on her mental health. And so she developed a meditation practice for herself. And her story is really interesting how she's gone about this journey. And Andrea, I thought it would be great to invite you to speak to the Fierce Lab community to talk about this journey that you've taken yourself on and how it has improved your mental health. Okay. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Great. So for the Fierce Lab audience, would you share a bit of your background? Sure. I grew up bicultural in Bangkok, Thailand. So my father was from New York. He was Spanish, Puerto Rican, and my mother is Thai. I went to a Catholic American school in Bangkok. So just growing up, I have, you know, grown up with multiple cultures, but then also grew up seeing the 
disparity just everywhere. And Bangkok's just one of those places where the super rich and the super poor rub up against each other constantly on a daily basis. And so that was the environment that I grew up in. And it made me really appreciate all that I have been given and all the opportunities that I've had because I've had immense opportunities. But then also I was able to, you know, see how the lack of opportunities affects a lot of people. And I think a lot of that and having witnessed a coup, a military coup while I was growing up to really just made me appreciate how important the law is. And I think that that was really what kind of drew me to ultimately go into the practice of law. You know, once I've had professors encourage it and I think it was just the combination of my background and the seeds that were planted that just made, you know, practicing law and advocating for people and giving people a voice um, and helping people speak up for themselves. It's just been something that, you know, drew me to the practice of law. Mm -hmm, For sure. And as I mentioned, it's a very stressful profession. My father-in-law is an attorney. I have a lot of friends that are attorneys. And that is not to indicate or say that other professions are not stressful, which is why I love that, you know, you can contribute to this conversation about how you've been able to manage that stress and how you've been able to use meditation to have a positive impact on your mental health. So you started your meditation practice really recently in 2020. Tell me more about that. Sure. Yes. And I would like to go back and give a little bit of background on the stressors of practicing law and what it's probably, you know, different occupations have different challenges. And for litigation, just to give a little bit of background, I think it lays a good groundwork of where meditation really comes in and helps a lot is that litigation, I heard another attorney explain this and I thought that it was put so well that other than professional sports, being an attorney and practicing litigation where people are suing each other and you are advocating for one side, where the other side also has another attorney who is advocating for their side. These are the two professions where you have people who are paid very well to really go up and fight against each other. So. I am paid and the other attorney is paid so that, you know, the feeling is always that the other person is also paid very well to make you wrong or to show that you are wrong or to make you look stupid or to tear down any of your arguments. And you are doing the same thing with the other side. Of course, how you go about doing that can be very different. I have found at least in in my experience, I have had great relationships with opposing counsel because of the way that I practice law. And I believe in building relationships and leaving the case to the facts of the case. But the foundation of it is still very adversarial. And so just, you know, within that environment, it can be really draining emotionally. Um, And just, and if you talk to attorneys, we have a really one of the maybe this will give an indication one of the requirements that we have to do for our continuing education at least in California is that we have to have at least 1 hour of it used to be substance abuse training as part of in order for us to renew our license 
because it is such a big problem in this field. It's just because of the stressors and the nature of the job. Um, And so having a tool, and I really see, I mean, it's a tool and it also is, you know, it really does enhance your way of life. That's how I see meditation. And that has allowed me to be a much happier lawyer and a much happier person. Um, because that now I can perform a really stressful job without the stress constantly living in me and being that underlying background feeling that you have constantly. I used to, and you know, a lot of people are teeth grinders. And I know that I know when I'm stressed out is when I will wake up and I will feel I can, you know, feel that line in my cheeks that I've been biting my you know, my cheeks throughout the night because of stress. And that was just something that was just constant, you know, but after having developed a a meditation practice, that's not something that happens to me very often anymore. And was stress manifesting itself in other ways? I've talked to women who like their hair has fallen out or their cycle has completely changed or their sleeping patterns have just evolved. For you, how else besides clenching your teeth and grinding your teeth at night were you starting to see this stress manifest? I have to say that I have been really lucky and probably because I have my own practice, which has allowed me to manage my time a lot better than people who work for somebody else. I think it makes there's just added stressors there. So for me, it was more the low-level constant stress that was always there. But I was lucky enough not to really have, you know, great manifestations of stress. Acne might be one thing. I mean, I'm 42 and I still break out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So it can impact our lives in so many ways that oftentimes we would attribute to something else like acne, oh, that's hormonal, right? Not necessarily, you're not thinking of it as a stress-related experience. So going back to 2020, did you find that because of the pandemic, you had more room in your schedule to start a meditation practice? Or did you find that 2020 only exacerbated the level at which you were feeling stress and you thought, I've got to get a handle on this? I mean, what about the year 2020 caused you to say, this is the year I'm implementing a meditation practice? That is a great question. And when I know that when we initially spoke, I didn't even realize that I you know, really dug into and brought up um, or implemented a meditation practice you know, during the pandemic. You know, you go through things and sometimes you don't really draw those connections. So for me, I had touches with meditation, you know, here and there periodically ever since I was in high school. But in 2020, I found that with the pandemic, I was taking on the role among my friends as the person who was encouraging people to write gratitude lists every day and you know, to keep people encouraged and to stay positive. And for me, it also, because I had to, because I was encouraging my friends to do it and I was writing gratitude lists every day, it made me really more conscious of the various things that I could be doing to improve my mental health. And yes, the forced slowdown of 2020 forced me to clear my schedule 
And it also gave me the space to really look inwards and figure out, okay, how am I living my life and what was serving me and what was not serving me? And I realized that having that packed schedule was not necessary. And so it kind of made me look for other ways that I can work on myself and find ways to adjust going forward my work and my life in a way that was healthier. And I also have a friend who... And I think that the lockdown also allowed groups of, at least in my life, a friend groups to have deeper conversations. I think we were talking about mental health a lot more than prior to the pandemic because, you know, we had friends who were struggling. And so the other friends who may have been struggling a little less would then talk about, you know what, we do notice if we think, you know, this friend is, you know, seems to be struggling or let's make sure that we check up on them. But then it also made us talk about how we may have been struggling in other ways as well. Um, And I have a friend who has a regular meditation practice and she's a friend of mine in Thailand. And so she would talk about her meditation practice and how that has helped her. And so it reminded me that, you know what, I did get benefits from meditation when I was doing it, you know, at a younger age. And so I then worked on getting back into doing meditation. Mm -hmm. And it started really small. Well, I was going to ask, I mean, you know, the thought of starting a meditation practice can be overwhelming for some. In fact, I was sharing with some friends earlier this week that we were going to be having this conversation and, and I was like, you know, what do you guys want to know? What should I be asking about that's important to you? And a lot of things came up like, how do I even start? How do I keep my mind focused for that long? You know, do I need equipment? So let's start out like, what are some of the beginner techniques and things that someone that's never had a meditation practice needs to know from your lens, from your experience? Before we even go there, if it's okay with you, I would like to invite everyone to even change what your perception or what your thought of meditation is. Because just based on the question, I know a lot of people are, and I used to think of it that way too, that if somebody was meditating, that in their mind, what they're trying to do is trying to get to a point of emptiness or something along those lines. At least that was my perception. But how I would invite people to look at meditation or to think of meditation is a practice of letting go. Rather than trying to achieve calm or pure emptiness, know that it's going to be a mental struggle. And it really is just a practice of letting go. So I actually, I kind of looked this up and According to the National Science Foundation, an average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day. And of those thoughts, I want you to guess how many percent of those thoughts are repetitive thoughts, just things that you're thinking over and over and over every day. Mm, I'm going to give you a percentage, maybe like 60%. More. (laughs) 80%. 95%. Those are just repetitive thoughts. Just repetitive thoughts. And so really how I see their practice. So let's say that those repetitive thoughts are, it's just like dust that comes. So your, your mind is your house, right? And it's just 
dust and things that you collect, you know, the receipts and knickknacks that you buy and all the things that you carry into your house day in and day out. And the practice of meditation is just the practice of clearing out. It's sweeping the floor, sweeping it out the door and picking things up and throwing them away. And what happens too, and this happens when you're meditating is and just like when you're cleaning, at least this happens to me. When I'm cleaning out, I'll pick something up and I'll go, oh, wow, these pictures are really interesting. Oh, I remember the time when I was in Morocco and we did this. And I'll sit down for an hour going through a photo album that I was either supposed to put away or you know do something with. And you just get stuck and you wind up getting sidetracked or distracted and engaging with the things that you meant to clear out or organize. And so that's the practice of meditation is for you to really just get some space to some time to be mindful, to watch your thoughts, acknowledge them and just let them go. And it's constant. It's constant work when you're meditating. It's not about achieving that place of emptiness. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if it's meant to be a constant state of letting go, of, of cleaning mental house, of sweeping the dust out, how do we start? Because sometimes, I mean, if you've just told me over 95% of my thoughts are repetitive thoughts, how do I begin to unwind that? That is a wonderful question. And I, the best place that you can start is with just one breath. Because it's just a practice of mindfulness. And I think first you need to practice just giving yourself that space. So for a while, what I would do was I would just remind myself and try to create a habit. While I, once I set on my coffee in the morning, I stand there and I have one intentional breath. And what one intentional breath looks like, and you can do it with me, is you close your eyes and you send your focus to that Cupid's bow, that triangular area above your lips. And you take a, take a deep breath in and take it, breathe it down into your belly and feel the cold air going in through the tip of your nose and hitting that Cupid's bow. And then breathe out and just noticing and feeling the warm air hitting that top part of your mouth. And that's one intentional breath. And that was one little snippet of a time that you gave yourself to calm down. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. I just did it. You know, I just did that with you as you asked me to. And it's very powerful. It is very calming. I will be honest. I came into this interview with a lot of other stuff on my mind today. You know, a lot of things don't always go great, right? Everybody has stressors. And just being able to pause for that one moment and feel that particular breath with that intention eased a lot of anxiousness that I brought in to this recording studio. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. I have the biggest smile on my face. I'm so I'm so happy to hear that. And really it it's just unbelievable how such a small thing can make a big difference. So I would start with the one small breath 
and do, you know, make it a habit. Do it while you're waiting for your coffee to brew or your pot of water to boil for tea. If you're a mom and, uh, you know, as you develop this practice, and, and that's why meditation does not require you to actually sit on the floor and, you know, have an hour for you See, to sit there. And that's, <laughs> that is where my mind went because I have a couple of friends that they did a year long meditation practice and they had to have a special pillow and they get up extra early and they do this for by themselves for one hour uninterrupted. I mean, they, I'm going to ask you about apps and the things. So to hear you say to start do it while you're making your coffee. Or, you know, you were going to mention a way a mom can do it, perhaps, you know, or on your drive to work. Yes, you can. Well, I wouldn't recommend doing it on your drive to work. But what you can do on your drive to work is, and, and that's another type of meditation, and that's just being mindful. You may just bring your attention, you know, just feel the feel the steering wheel in your hands. Just bring that conscious awareness to your body is one way for you to just clear your mind and being mindful. I'm not a professional, but I know it works. I don't know how it works or what the science of it is, but just practicing mindfulness somehow changes your brain or the chemistry of your brain. And what I was going to suggest for a busy mom is you can go to the restroom you can sit there and you can take five good breaths, just focusing on, you know, five good breaths, just the way we did the one breath. You can do it on the toilet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm giggling, not because we're talking potty talk here, but because I have a dear friend who has two small children. I know she does not get to go to the bathroom alone by herself. So shout out to all the moms who may be thinking that's not a possibility. And we hear you. We see you. Please don't at me for, for suggesting this, right? But I get your point, right? And I think I know our community receives the point as well. Finding five seconds when you are alone where you can give this to yourself and you have to give it to yourself, right? No one else can create space for meditation for you. And I think you make a va very valid point that you don't need the special equipment or the long lengths of time to do it. You just have to have a moment where you intentionally take the breaths. And that is a start. And if I can add something for the mothers who cannot even go to the restroom alone, I still have something for you. Because this is something, and it's not technically meditation, but since, you know, we're not really being technical here, <laughs> I am a lawyer talking about meditation after all, is, and this is something that I have absolutely done in the middle of conversations with heated conversations with opposing counsel, and it is heart-centered breathing. You can do it with your eyes open. Tell me about and this. That, so all that you need to do and you can do it while looking at your children and even in that if in that moment they may be stressing you out but think of a of an image or of a scene so think of a person or a scene or something that generates the feeling of love for you so for me 
I imagine my nephew, I don't have kids. So I imagine my nephew and there was a moment where he had offered to help me clean up. And in that moment, I just felt immense love for him because I so appreciated it. So I generate, you know, I go back to this moment and it generates a feeling of love in me. And so what you do is you just breathe in that feeling of love into your heart and you can imagine it and visualize it, visualize the feeling of love as a pink light. And you can do it with your eyes open. You can do it when you're talking with somebody. You can even try to do it when you are having a conversation and you breathe in that feeling of love into your heart and then breathe it out. Breathe in and just visualize it going into your heart and breathing out. Because you cannot hold both the feeling of love and the feeling of anger or anxiety or any other negative feelings at the the same same time. time. Mm -hmm. That's very powerful. I talk a lot about, and you mentioned a gratitude practice at the beginning that you were encouraging your friends to think of things that they're grateful for. I started a gratitude practice last August, and every night when I put my head on the pillow, I go through all the things from the day that I'm grateful for. Some are really big and some are super tiny, but the benefit that I have received in my life from doing that, a more sense of calm more awareness of things that I'm grateful for. It's no longer about like the the big things happening. I'm I'm finding the positives and the gratitude and all of the small things. And so when you talk about that love can't live when you're also holding a negative feeling, I have experienced that in going through my own gratitude journey because when I'm finding all the things that I'm grateful for, the negativity goes away. And something that I'll do if especially like if I'm on my drive to work and I'm already on edge feeling frustrated or you know, you've checked your email before you left the house and you just know what you're walking into, I'll just start out loud listing all the things I'm grateful for that day on the drive. And by the time my little 7-minute commute is over, I've got myself in a better headspace. I like that. And that is a great tip because I think that that's something that that everybody can can use. And um, it's really easy. And it also makes you recognize. I read this book and I can't remember the, the name of the book, but it says that just, you know, neurologically, our brains are wired to really scan and notice the negative things. And so it takes more effort for it to notice the positive. And that's why whenever something positive happens, you really need to take time to acknowledge it and soak in that moment of positivity because it doesn't stay long because your brain is jumping onto the next negative thing. And that's why the gratitude practice is so important and so powerful and how it will create a snowball effect of positivity is because then... Do you notice that you are now in each day going through the day looking for things that you can add to your gratitude list? Oh, absolutely. For sure. And things that I wouldn't normally acknowledge that I'm grateful for are now part of it. And I mean, I find it, I don't have to lay my head on a pillow at night to get to it. I'll even be driving or in the office or and I'll just out loud say, thank you. 
out loud, <laughs> you know, because I, love it. I know I'm grateful in that moment for something very specific and I can acknowledge it now so much more rapidly. Hey guys, I wanted to take a few seconds and ask if you've purchased your tickets to Fierce Lab. You can find those at fiercelab.tarawilson.com. We will have Fierce Lab live on October 2nd in Dallas, Texas at Hotel Zaza. Again, the website is fiercelab.tarawilson.com. Now back to the show. How have you incorporated your friends into your meditation practice and this work on your mental health over the last 12 months or so? So what I would do is I would share things, you know, if we are in a conversation, I don't, I don't push it on anybody. (laughs) So if it comes up in a conversation, I remember one particular conversation where we were out on the golf course and one of my friends, you know, a lot of them are also lawyers and, you know, kind of have the same stressors in their lives um, in that respect. And so we were talking about the stress and I just went ahead and shared, you know, the heart-centered breathing techniques that I shared with you. And I do tell them about my meditation practice. You know, so I tell people about it and I figure that if anybody is interested and wants to learn more, then, you know, they'll reach out and, you know, I help in that way. So it's not like you all are holding each other accountable or or doing a challenge where like, let's get so many days in a row of meditation in. No, but I know, you know, I, I definitely do know friends who have done the 21 day meditation challenge, for example. My friend in Thailand, who was the one that kind of got me back into meditation, does kind of hold me accountable because she will periodically check to see whether I have meditated that day. (laughs) So she's, she's a lot more consistent at it. And, you know, and on days that I don't get it in, I don't beat myself up for it. I try to do 30 minutes every day. I do it in the morning, but some mornings are, you know, the types of mornings where you wake up at, 6.30 and you have your first meeting at 7.30 and I can't find the 30 minutes to meditate in the morning. And you know, it happens. I don't beat myself up and I just, I just let it go. And that's one thing that's been great about um, doing the mental practice of letting go is that it then translates to other things in my life too, is I'm able to let go of I used to dwell on things a lot. If I made what I perceive as a mistake or if I make a real mistake, you know, I would dwell in that 95% of repetitive thoughts that keeps going over and over. But now I'm just able to recognize it, see the thought, let it go and move on. Mm. And that's really a key piece, I think, also to managing anxiety. I noticed that since the pandemic my anxious feelings have have intensified, you know, but I also have noticed that I'm much more aware of them. I would say probably in the past, I hadn't been able to identify, oh, that's anxiety. I would probably just lump it into the stress category or pressure or whatever, but I have been able to identify, oh, that's anxiousness and there's no reason I should feel anxious. It's stemming from something else. So to be able to acknowledge it and then let it go seems so powerful and beneficial. You know, we talked a a little bit. I was going to ask if you had an app that you like. Do you use an app at all? 
for meditating? I don't. I I go about my meditation kind of depending on what I felt that I needed that day. Although I do know that a lot of people use use apps like Headspace. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm a big fan of Calm. That's the one I was going to mention. And when you talked about you have 30 minutes that or you try and allow yourself 30 minutes to meditate. One of the things that I appreciate about the Calm app is that you can say how much time you have. So if you only have five minutes, you can actually pick a meditation that's suited to the amount of time you have, as well as you can pick the meditation that's suited to how you're feeling in the moment. Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling overwhelmed? You know, those sorts of things. I have not used Headspace, but but the Calm app has been has been really useful to me for the purpose of meditation. I love that. And I think the guided meditations are very helpful because then you're not trying to figure out, especially when you're newer to um, meditating and it is intimidating and having somebody guide you through it. And I started out with guided meditations, but I was, it was when I was in high school and my father's best friend that I lived with when I moved to the United States was a Buddhist minister. So he taught, you know, he did guided meditation classes each Sunday and I would go to them. So I got live guided meditation when I was younger and that was the pre-app days. <laughs> so it's nice that you can have, you know, that experience where wherever you are, just in the comfort of your home. So Calm, I've definitely heard of that as well and Headspace and Insight Timer. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's a good one. There's even guided meditations on YouTube if well, you're was, on Clubhouse. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to ask about guided meditation. I want to go back to the guided meditation that you were doing in high school. Can you explain what does that mean for those of us that don't know and understand? What's the difference between a guided meditation and just this meditation practice that you're practicing on your own independently? Okay, so... It's just a difference between whether you have somebody else who is kind of guiding you through the meditation or you guiding yourself. That's the only difference because I, when I'm doing, or when I went to the guided meditation classes, it's probably very similar to your Calm app and somebody is going to talk you through what it is that you are trying to accomplish in that time. So for example, if you are going through a loving kindness meditation. And I love loving kindness meditation, especially for days where I'm feeling anxious or stressed because it's that same concept of not being able to hold both compassion and loving kindness for others and also hold the anxiety and stress at the same time. So in a guided meditation class, my uncle would then say, okay, you know, let's start with saying may you might start with yourself and say, may I be happy? May I be peaceful? May no harm come to me and generate that feeling of loving kindness for yourself. I know some apps will start with loving kindness for your family first, because for a lot of people, it's easier for you to to love the people closest to you first before you then move on to yourself. Um, but you know, in the classes that, that my uncle led, we would start with the circle is starting with yourself and giving, you know, may you be peaceful, may you be happy, may may, um, no harm come to you. And kind of keep focus on that feeling and um, that intention and 
those thoughts for a little while. And then you expand the circle to your family. And then you expand your circle to your friends. And then to just acquaintances. And then to people who may be your enemies or people who have harmed you. And this ring of sending loving kindness to people who may have harmed you or people that you dislike um, is the hardest part, but it's also the most powerful part. Because once you can generate and practice doing that, it just makes it... I don't know how it works, but I feel that having to do that is the most powerful and is the part where I can feel it the deepest. And then, you know, then it spreads to like all sentient beings in the in the world. So that, you know, it's somebody talking you through those steps, through, you know, through the process versus you telling yourself that as you're sitting there. So I think for me, that's the difference between a guided meditation versus just self-guiding. Mm-hmm. And so what was the time span between this practice that you had in high school and then picking it up again just in 2020? You you had completely stopped meditating for 20 plus years, would you say? Yes, I think it's about 20 years. Mm-hmm. But, but it was I it, didn't meditate. Was it just like riding a bike? You kind of picked it back up and and were able to ease back into it? I wouldn't say that it was just like riding a bike because I I think it takes a little bit of getting used to first of all, I my body doesn't take it as well <laughs> when I have to sit still for that long. But I think it it is kind of like a mental muscle. You keep working at it and you know, the more that you do it, the easier it becomes and the quicker you can get to the place of not being not getting distracted by your own thoughts. And I think that's one of the things too, talking about cleaning house. And that is when a thought comes up, the there will be times where you can easily just recognize it as a thought and let it go with the next breath. But there are other times where a thought comes up and you will be engaging with it for a while before you even realize or have the awareness that, oh, now you're engaging with a thought and it's time for me to let it go. You know, and and some days are... Some days are easier than others. Some days I don't even make it past 15 minutes and and that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't be so hard on yourself. Well, I think you make a very valid point that it is a muscle and when you exercise it, when you use the practice, it becomes easier. Not to say it's completely easy, just like you go out for a run, some days you have great runs and other days you don't, but over time your your skill with the practice builds. I like it's that. It's true. And it's not even just while you're meditating because I feel like the the benefits of meditation is it you'll reap the reward even when you're not meditating. So while you're meditating what I do see is that because you're making space and clearing out you know, repetitive thoughts and just clutter that comes into your mind or that you hold on to is that it gives you space for actual new thoughts or creative ideas to come up. I can't tell you how many times I've been able to solve problems that I wasn't even intentionally trying to solve or come up with really great ideas while I'm meditating. And it's funny, I watched this, I have a masterclass subscription and I was watching a masterclass that RuPaul gave. And RuPaul said, 
And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. It's RuPaul or I think it's RuPaul. <laughs> and, but she said, and you know, I, I'm sure that many people have said it, that, that prayer is when you are speaking to God and meditating is when you get to listen to God speak to you or the universe or even just yourself, depending on, you know, whatever your beliefs are, right? So that's what I get while meditating. But the post-meditation result is that I saw, I, I know that it does, they've done studies on the effects of meditation on the brain. I couldn't repeat the results of the research to you, but for myself, I have definitely seen my emotional and my uh, my emotional baseline change. So from having that general low level underlying stress and anxiety in the background, for the most part, now my emotional baseline is just calm. It takes a lot to phase me. And even when things come up, I can let it go so much easier. And it's improved my relationship with my husband. It's also helped me be more effective in my work because I've been able to get out of the fight or flight response in the body. And it allows you to just be more creative and to be better at finding solutions and solving problems. Mm. That's very interesting. Not only that you've seen the impact and its ability to help you maneuver through your day, but I really want to go back to what you said that prayer is your opportunity to talk to God or the universe whatever you choose to believe. And meditation is your time to listen to God or the universe speaking to you. That's really profound. For yourself, because how often do we even get to hear ourselves? Mm, Very, very good point. Excellent point. This is your time to talk to yourself and to listen to yourself with with meditation. This is your time to listen to yourself. I like that. I know when we were preparing for this interview, you told me that you have plans to go to a silent retreat at the end of this year, and I don't want to let you go without talking about this. So can you tell me more like about what is a silent retreat, what's motivating you, and what you're hoping to gain from this experience? I'm fascinated. Sure. I actually signed up for the retreat the end of last year. Um, It got canceled because of the pandemic. And so I am looking forward to finally getting to go this year. This one is a Vipassana 10-day silent meditation retreat where you meditate in, you know, one to two hour chunks for about, I think it's 10 to 12 hours in a day. And there's no writing, um, no reading, no talking. So all for you 10 are days? Is just Hold on. I for wanna... 10 days. Wow. <laughs> yes. I, I didn't know this part of the story. I, I really thought you were going to go away for a weekend. 10 days. Okay. Yes, 10 days. It's been, it's been, it's been one of those things. My uncle was the one who told me about it. And I thought about doing it in my twenties. I thought about doing it in my thirties and never happened. And it's hard. It really is hard to 
commit and find 10 days to get away. And <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's going to be the struggle. I mean, you're not going to talk to anybody for 10 days. That's what I worry about there. If I were to try and go on a retreat like this, I can find the 10 days. It's <laughs> clearly I like to talk. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. I know I know the no talking is going to be a struggle. You know, my biggest concern was the food situation because I think they give you lunch and then in the afternoon you get tea and maybe some biscuits, but there's no like dinner. Um, so my big concern is the whole food thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I know that whenever I meet people who have done it, my question is always on which day did you want to leave? Because I know that that is going to be a challenge is working through that, that hump or, you, or that wall that you feel, I cannot take this anymore because it is so unnatural for us to spend that much time with ourselves and our own thoughts that I think that that's just going to be the hardest part is just being stuck with yourself and your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. And what do you hear? What do people say? I mean, is there a consensus like day two or, oh, you don't hit that wall until day five? What are you hearing when you ask people this? I hear a lot of day two and day three. One of my friends actually told me that it happened for her on the ninth day. And I thought, what? That's crazy. She says, no, because I think on the on the the ninth day was when they took you off the schedule because they have blocks of, okay, so from this time to this time, there's the meditation session and then you do chores or breakfast or whatever. So there's a very strict schedule for the day. But she found that once that schedule went away and it was just, you had to practice incorporating meditation as if it was, you know, into your regular life without a strict schedule. She said that she found that to be the hardest and was when she almost gave up. And what do people tell you they've gained from this experience? How have they come out the other side? Every person has said it was a life-changing experience. A lot of people found themselves, I think. They found who they are or what it is that they think and and even kind of the the less appealing parts of themselves, you know, seeing that, oh, wow, I have these types of thoughts or these feelings about certain things or certain people. And one of my friends actually came out of the experience having the strength or the clarity to leave a marriage that wasn't working for her too. So I think that a lot of people can get a lot of different things out of it. And for me, it's the challenge, the kind of challenge like of the kind where people go and, you know, they go sailing for a month or try to climb a mountain. I I don't have the desire for those kinds of physical challenges, but I find this mental challenge to be an interesting one. Hmm. See, I've done one Ironman, three half Ironmans, and I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm cut out for the physical challenge. I don't know that I'd be cut out for a silent retreat. I don't know. I mean, it's really fascinating. And I'd be curious to hear from our listeners on, are they, they themselves willing to do something like this? Do they think, I don't know, you guys tell us, let us, let us know. Do you think 
you could do a 10-day silent retreat? Or do you think you're more cut out for like a physical challenge? Very interesting. I'm going to have to ponder this for sure. (laughs) Well, you know that you had to have immense mental ability for you to push through the physical challenges. So I I think this will be a piece of cake for you. Well, I don't know about that. I did spend a tremendous amount of time alone in my Ironman training. I I actually really liked that. and, And I do enjoy doing physical challenges. I like running alone. I like biking alone. One of the reasons I love swimming is because no one can talk to you while you're swimming. (laughs) But I think 10 days might be a bit much. So we'll see. I would love to hear from you after you've done this retreat. I'd just love to maybe just do a follow-up to this podcast and hear what it meant to you, what you experienced, um, and maybe just, you know, share it with our listeners. I think we'd all love to hear from you. Sure, I would love to come back and share. Um, that would be that would be really fun. I'll make sure to write down all my thoughts and emotions immediately after it's over. I was going to say because you said that you can't write things while you're there, right? They want you to Correct. hold it all. Wow. Okay, I'm really excited about this. So this is in December <laughs> when you go. Yes, I will be going at the end of the year. Okay, so a a follow up discussion in, at the beginning of 2022. I'll go ahead and put it on the calendar. So <laughs> I'll put on mine too. Well, I'm I'm really excited to ask you this next question because I want to hear what you would say. So the question that I ask all guests and I conclude every podcast with is what does the word fierce mean to you? To me, the word fierce means being courageous. And that is being scared and doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wonderful. Beautifully said. So, Andrea, thank you for joining me today and sharing your journey to developing a meditation practice and how it has helped you overcome not only work stressors, but also create space for yourself and a space to love the life that you live, but also love those around you and really give a sense of gratitude toward your own self. This has been enlightening to say the least, and I really enjoyed chatting. Tara, thank you so much for having me and for facilitating really important conversations that are so helpful and make a difference and a positive impact in women's lives. So I really appreciate you having me here and being a part of this conversation. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fierce Lab. If you did, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe and maybe share it with a friend. You can always follow us on Instagram at Fierce Lab.